Parshas Vayakel Pekudei Lukutei Sichas Chelek Tezayin. We frequently discuss that Rashi, in explaining the Torah, pauses to explain each idea that requires greater clarity when reading the literal verse. So when we come across something that seems complex in the words of the Torah, the Rashi does not bring an explanation for it, we must then assume that there is no question here, either because it's self-understood from the words of the actual verse, or Rashi has addressed this very question in an earlier situation. In the Torah portions of Ayakel and Pekudei, we find several things that aren't understood from the literal verses, and there are even some questions that arise within Rashi's explanations. Let's look at one in Vayakil and one in Pekudei. In the portion of Vayakil, in chapter 35, Perak Lamed Hay, verse 26, Pasuk Chavav, we learn, V'chol hanoshim, asher nasa liban esnei v'chachma, tavu esaizim. All the women who excelled in that skill spun the goat hair. Rashi explains these words saying that they wove the goat's hair on the backs of the goats. The wool was actually still connected to the animal when they were weaving it. So, of course, we need to understand what was so particularly unusual or great about this kind of weaving. In fact, it would seem that wool cut off from the animal would be much more easily spun than hair is still connected to the skin of the goat. What's achieved by weaving while the wool is still attached to the animal? Also, once the Torah describes how precious the project of the Mishkan was to the women, telling us that the men came along with the women, describing the incredible cleverness and talent weaving the hairs while still on the goats, why don't we read of that same talent in the woven wool of the lower curtains that the women brought, which they also wove by hand and then dyed blue and crimson. These were also, the Torah tells us, woven with unique cleverness. But regarding the woven sheep ears, there's no suggestion that the weaving was done while the wool was unshorn on the back of the sheep. Looking at the portion of Pekude, we learn in chapter 38, verse 22, the son of Uri, had made all that Hashem commanded Moshe. Rashi questions why the Torah tells us Bitzal made all that Hashem had commanded Moshe. And the verse doesn't simply say that Moshe had commanded him to make. Rashi explains this saying that Bitzal made the Mishkan as Moshe had received the instruction from God on Sinai. When Moshe gave Bitzal the instructions he had received, he gave them over, saying to craft the interior furnishings of the Mishkan before constructing the outside of the Mishkan. Bitzal responded to Moshe, saying that it's common practice to first build a house, the structure, and then the interior. To which Moshe responded, saying, Take, you are right. That is what Hashem commanded. So Bitzal built the Mishkan first and then the interior furnishings. In that case, here's a question. The Mishkan was indeed built as is a common practice, first the walls, then the roof, then setting the structure up was also in that order. But in fact, in the portion of Ayakel, we actually find that the craftsmen first made the tapestries, which were the roofs, and these were the women who made the tapestries, 
and only after that the beams for the walls. In fact, in the portion of Truma, that is the order they were commanded to do this in. The Balai Teisvis answered this puzzle, saying that the areas, the tapestries, were made ahead of everything else, so they would be immediately ready once the beams were made, so that the beams would not be uncovered for even a moment. But in addition to the obvious question of why the beams shouldn't be uncovered, even for a short time, this is not what unfolded based on the words in the verses. The Torah tells us that when everything was completed, the tapestries and the beams and all the vessels, it was all brought to Moshe, and then the Mishkan was erected by Moshe. So it wouldn't have made a difference what they actually made first, whether the tapestries or the beams, even if they made the beams first, because that's common practice in building, making the exterior first, the beams weren't actually set up until everything was made, and they wouldn't have remained erect and uncovered at all in that case. Barashi doesn't address this question at all, neither in the portion of Ayakil nor in the portion of Pekute, where these questions become relevant. To understand this all, we'll first look at two points that Rashi makes in the portion of Ayakel. First, Rashi's particular to explain the words in the verse that they spun the goat here to mean that it was still on the backs of the goats when they wove the wool. But Rashi doesn't start his explanation with this information. Why doesn't Rashi tell us first, which nice this first, which nicely explains the words in the verse, and then add the words, the women had a superior skill in weaving. We have no idea what Rashi's talking about yet when he tells us first that the women had a superior skill. We don't know that they're doing this weaving while the wool is still on the backs of the goats until Rashi tells us this. Second, why does Rashi use the word unique skill to describe their capability in spinning the wool on the backs of living animals and not unique wisdom, as the verse does in describing this ability. And Rashi likely takes his explanation from the Gemara in the Tractate of Shabbos, and the Gemara uses the term unique wisdom. The explanation for this is that the weaving of the goat's wool, which is clearly delineated and repeated as a separate verse to the previously mentioned weaving of the blue and crimson dyed wool, is obviously understood to be different to the weaving of the earlier verse. And what's different is that it was woven while still on the goats. The fact that there were different kinds of contributions to the Mishkan is something that even a five-year-old student can understand, just as there are different categories of sacrifices. And animal sacrifices are of greater worth than sacrifices of the plant domain. There are different types of contributions, and wool spun on the back of and still attached to a living animal is more important or more chashuv than wool spun after it is shorn from the goat. Wool that is still connected to its source of growth is still receiving life from the animal, unlike already shorn wool. Bringing this donation of spun wool still on the animal's back was like bringing a living donation. Now, why it was just goat's hair that was woven while still attached to the animal and not the wool that made up the blue and crimson tapestries is because the sheep's hair for the blue and crimson tapestries needed to be dyed. You can't dye lamb's wool on the animal because it's still growing 
and then the new growth would produce undyed strands. So the donation of crimson and blue wool could not be brought immediately after shearing as it required dry, dyeing, and it couldn't be dyed on the animal. So this was a different category of donation, one less special than the wool woven on the backs of the goats. Rashi addresses the fact that this is self-understood in the verses by remarking on this unique skill. It wasn't just that the women wove the goat hairs because they were clever and they understood that weaving this way and bringing it to the sanctuary was a superior way of weaving. This was also a unique skill set that some women had. It was a more sophisticated way to weave as compared to the off-the-animal weave as the hair would remain moist so long as it was still connected to and nourished by the oils on the goatskin. Weaving this way was a more sophisticated skill set. Now, we explained earlier why the tapestries were produced before the beams, even though it's common building practice to first build the walls. We gave two reasons for this. One was the woman's great enthusiasm and love for the mitzvah and the haste with which they showed up with the woven goat hairs for the upper roof tapestry, the hair woven still on the goat's backs. This now meant that the goats had to be shorn immediately and the tapestries woven because leaving the hair on the animals would have allowed for growth of unwoven individual hairs. Halachically, this would also constitute tsar balechayim, inflicting pain upon the animals, as the goats could not run free because of the weave. They therefore shore the woven goat ears so as not to inflict harm or pain upon the goats. One of the wonderful ideas in halacha that is learned from this Rashi is the following. There's a question presented in the writings of the Rav Gachavagon that addresses the obligation of women in building the Mishkan. The Talmud teaches us that work on the Mishkan did not take place at night. Making this mitzvah of building the Mishkan a positive mitzvah that has timely parameters, shahazman groma. Women are exempt from such mitzvahs. In that case, how could the woman weave the wool for the tabernacle? As according to Rabbeinu Tam, a woman cannot prepare for a mitzvah in which she cannot partake. Therefore, a woman doesn't prepare a lulav or tzitzis because it is not her obligation, and she may not be as scrupulous in preparing it. The Ragachavar explains that there are two aspects in the building of the Mishkan. One is the building of the temple itself, which is a positive commandment, and a positive commandment that has a timely issue. The second, the need for the temple so that sacrifices could be offered on the altars. These two aspects affect the question regarding where women are obligated or exempt regarding the Mishkan. When it comes to the positive mitzvah of building the temple, which is a mitzvah with time parameters, a woman is exempt. But regarding the necessity for a Mishkan in order to bring sacrifices in which women too are obligated, they are obligated in the building of the Mishkan. This obligation, however, lies in the building and construction of the parts of the Mishkan which directly impact bringing sacrifices, but not those parts that don't. In the parts that don't, women are not permitted to participate. Now, there were two levels of ureas, two levels of tapestries that were constructed and woven for the Mishkan. In the Tractate of Shabbos, the Talmud teaches 
that with the words in the portion of Pekudeh, in chapter 40, Perak Mim, in verse 19, Pasukites, that state, Moshe spread the tent over the Mishkan. The intention is regarding the lower tapestries made of fine linen, blue, purple, and scarlet wool. These lower tapestries turned the Mishkan into a viable oil tent into which sacrifices could be brought. So the tapestry, the tapestries that were above those, the ones of woven goats here, did not impact the bringing of sacrifices in the Mishkan. In other words, the Mishkan was kosher to be used for sacrifices, even if a wind would blow those upper tapestries, folding them together, and they were no longer spread wide over the beams. According to this opinion, we can understand the reason for the difference in the two verses that describe the tapestry's construction. Regarding the lower tapestries, the verse says, And all the skilled women spun by hand and brought what they had spun, blue, purple, and crimson wool and linen. These tapestries were needed to make valid a mishkan for bringing sacrifices, and so women were able to weave these tapestries, participating in the construction of the mishkan. But the goat here tapestries were not needed to validate the mishkan as a place where Karbanas could be brought, so the women were not permitted to prepare these in order to participate in the Mishkan's construction. They could, however, do this as uniquely skilled. Tavu Esaizim, they spun the goats, says the verse. It was their skill that was being used, not their labor, as the Gemara in the Tractate of Shabbos indeed tells us. But accordingly, when Rashi explains the verse, highlighting that weaving the goats was a superior skill in weaving, it's obvious that Rashi is following his principle of explaining pshat, the literal intention of the verses. So for the verse that tells us that Moshe spread the tent over the Mishkan, Rashi explains that these were the tapestries of Godir, just as the verses in the portion of Truma instruct us to make Godir tapestries as a tent above the Mishkan. According to this literal intention, as Rashi sees it, is that these tapestries also had the category of oil, creating a structure necessary for bringing sacrifices in the Mishkan, and without them, sacrifices could not be brought. According to that, then, these tapestries too could be made by the women, and that's why Rashi highlights and uses a different term saying this was a unique skill set that weaving the hair of the goats still on their backs was not just an ability, but was indeed labor towards the actual construction of the Mishkan. With this explanation, there's no proof that Rashi accepts the opinion of the Gemara in the Tractate of Shabbos, where the special art of weaving the wool while still on the animal is a unique art and not considered typically the way wool is woven, and thus not considered working on Shabbos. Rather, Rashi's explanation suits the first opinion in the Gemara, that one would be desecrating Shabbos by weaving the wool on the animal on Shabbos. In fact, since all forms of labor are learned from the making and construction of the Mishkan, 
we could say that according to Rashi's opinion, that this is craftsmanship. This work is a source for the opinion that this craftsmanship of weaving the wool on the animal is one of the labors of the Mishkan, and thus proof that weaving this way is then a desecration of Shabbos, and one would be liable to bring a sin offering. A deep understanding of this Rashi teaches us a lesson in our divine service. At first, it seems unusual that the Torah tells us that all the women who were moved to and had this wisdom wove the goats. It seems almost like an inconsequential detail, as these tapestries of woven goat here were only a feature of the Mishkan and not of the Beis HaMikdash, not the first, the second, nor of the third. Similarly, the second detail, that the tapestries were made before the beams, and that this was not the common way that building takes place, how are these things relevant to future generations? But there are two lessons that are gleaned from these two ideas that impact the creating of a Mishkan and a Mikdash that every Jew must make in this world at all times and in all places. As we are taught by our sages, God sought to build a sanctuary to dwell, dwell within them, the Shachanti B'Seicham, and not within it. The first lesson is what we learn from the women whose hearts were in their efforts of spinning the wool. When God gives a Jew a talent and special ability, he needs to know it's not for him that he received this talent. It was given to him to be used in making this world into a mishkan, a dwelling for God's presence. Just as it was for the women in the time of the construction of the mishkan, those who had a unique ability that others did not understand, that others did not un- understood that this unique talent that God gave them was for the purpose of building the mishkan where God's presence would dwell within them. This is then retold in Torah because the women were not called upon to use this unique talent in building the Mishkan, but they were inspired to use this talent for the building of the Mishkan on their own. And this is a Torah lesson for generations. Just as a Jew must use his personal and unique talents and abilities in transforming the world into a dwelling for God, He must do the same with everything Hashem gives him. For example, when Hashem gives a Jew an overly abundant livelihood, he must recognize that this is so that he gives abundant charity. This is a donation, a truma to God. Like the chassid of the Alter Rebbe, who had a good week in business and knew with absolute certainty that this meant that he would come home to a letter from his Rebbe with a reminder about giving tzedakah, charity, or to a messenger of the Alter Rebbe who was collecting funds for the community of Jews living in the Holy Land. The second lesson we learn is how careful we must be to not cause pain to another. Just to avoid pain, and not even pain, just discomfort to the goats. Hashem commanded that the tapestries which were made of the spun goats here, woven on the animals, be made before the beams, not the way building commonly takes place. Certainly then we must be so careful with the anguish of a human being and certainly the pain of a fellow Jew, and particularly a Jew who is devoid of mitzvahs, which is explained in the Tanah Devei 
as the meaning of nakedness for a Jew. It is his nakedness of Torah and mitzvahs. One might think, I have the mitzvah to clothe him, to clothe him with tzitzis and tefillin, but there needs to be an order to things. So first I have to go to shul and daven, and from prayers I need to go to the study hall and learn Torah, then have some breakfast, and in an orderly manner I can then fulfill the obligation to clothe him. But the Torah teaches us, if we're talking about a Jewish person's anguish, and there is no greater anguish for a Jew than being naked of mitzvahs, more so even when he has no idea that he is lacking so, in that situation, the customary way things should be done in this world, and not even customs of this world, which is after all a place that conceals godliness, but even God's own order of instructions for his own home should be upturned to first worry about clothing the needy Jew, to bring mitzvahs into his world, and only after that see to one's own needs, which is also a requirement. Similarly, the study of Torah, and in fact first the study of Torah, as the Gemara teaches, for the real hunger is a hunger for Torah, and true sustenance are words of Torah. So even before one sees to one's own needs, one should study Torah with another. This will bring him too the merit of hungering not for bread and thirsting not for water, but to hear the word of God, which he will hear from our righteous Redeemer, Moshiach himself, in the eternal temple, which will be built through each and every person using their God-given abilities and talents to turn the world over into a dwelling and a temple for God.